before the service, I was talking with someone and I said, there's probably something this morning that there's a little something here to probably tick all of us off in certain, in some way. So I'll say that up front. Because I'd like to talk about possessions today. Things. Stuff. You know it. I know it. We know it. And when I walk through my garage, barely to get out to my car, I'm reminded of this. And what I usually do on a Sunday is I try to start with a question. So the question for us this morning to start with is, how much does one need to be happy? I heard the sigh. And the answer, apparently, in our country is this, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. It's one of the reasons that we do things like spring cleaning, or you throw away the junk, you make a run to the dump, or you bring stuff to Goodwill or some other charity. Some of you don't know what that feels like at all. And the problem in our country, specifically, is that we have a problem with stuff. And in fact, I would go so far as to say that that's one of our gods. We worship stuff that we have. Our culture tends to tell us something like this. If you just had this, then you'll be happy. If you just had a little bit more, if I just got 3% more from my boss next year, then, I, you know, then I'd be right at that level to be happy. And if you buy into this mindset, pun intended, then you'll end up chasing after something that you'll never get. Because we always want more. What's that phone commercial with the little girl? We want more. We want more. More. exhausting and fruitless and pointless from God's word. In Luke chapter 12, this is what Jesus says. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We'll look at that story in just a few minutes. In Matthew chapter 6, he says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is Jesus' most addressed topic in the Bible. About 15% of his total teaching is on these related issues. Money, stuff, possessions, and the like. In fact, in the Bible, there are over 2,000 verses about dealing with things and money. Do you know that that's more verses than are devoted to faith and prayer? Why do you think that is? One of the reasons that is, is because Jesus specifically knows how easy it is to get sucked in to our stuff. Before we know it, your possessions end up possessing you. 
Now I will say this, I am not against stuff by any stretch of the imagination. There are things that I love and even enjoy. There are certain foods that I love and enjoy. I like, I will, I will admit this morning, I have a lot of socks. I like socks, especially clean socks. And it's okay to have nice stuff. But when our identity and self-worth becomes tied up in what we have, then we don't own our stuff anymore, it owns us. And this is what Jesus understands and why he talks about it so often. So what do we do with this? Well, let's look at how the Bible can help direct us and guide us in this. Because when we allow the Word of God to shape us and direct how we live, change is possible. In your mind, in your heart, and even in your soul. Our lives actually can begin to move towards God's way, His better way to live. So there's two stories I want to share this morning. The first is from Luke 12. And in Luke 12, there is a rich man in the Bible. This man is a farmer. In fact, he had a very productive year. If you ever go to the east part of our county, you get to see some of the fruit fields, some of the you pick up places. And certain years, there are really, really good harvests, even more than they know what to do with which kind of blows our minds sometimes because there are so many places on this planet that don't have enough. And for this rich man, he had a year where his harvest was way more than he knew what to do with. More than enough. And all that he had in his mind was what am I going to do with all of this extra? So what did he decide to do? What do you think he decided to do? Yeah, he said, not only build a bigger barn, but this old, this, this barn I have is kind of rinky, it's kind of old, it's, you know, it's, it's leaning a little bit too much, so I'm just going to knock it down and build a way bigger barn with cool new building materials and all that stuff, and I'm going to build it big enough so that everything fits inside of it. And in verse 19, he says, Then I'll be set for a long time, so take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. It doesn't actually sound that bad. <coughs> Sounds kind of good to me. It's nice to have enough for a rainy day. Till the very next verse, one of the only times in the Bible where God actually directly calls somebody a fool. Nobody likes to be called that. This is what Jesus shares. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not, and here's the key, rich toward God. God was not mad that this guy was rich. He was a farmer. I'm sure he worked hard. 
He was used to saving for a rainy day. When you're a farmer, you have to plan ahead. And as long as there was rain and sun and good soil, chances are that he was going to be successful in those good years. The main problem for him was not that he was rich, it's that he was not rich toward God. He couldn't yet get it into his mind, or it wasn't even a part of his way of thinking to see beyond himself and his need. The problem with stuff is not stuff. It's that too much stuff, especially more than you need, actually makes it harder for you to live by faith. When you have everything you ever need to survive, then it's easier to trust what's in your hands than to trust the one who made your hands. This is true for all of us. When things are going good, it's easy to forget who is the one leading and guiding your life. In the economy of this world, this guy was rich. In the economy of God's kingdom, he was poor. And here's the issue, he didn't even know it. If we think that having the most means being the most blessed, and I've heard this used even in churches, then we actually have a very small vision of how God views value and worth. God's view is way more expansive because you were created in the image and likeness of God with amazing worth and almost unlimited potential. At the very beginning, when God confused all of our languages, it wasn't because he wanted to make us struggle. It's because he knew that we have almost unlimited potential because he made us with it. He can bless your relationships. He can bless how you interact with people. He can bless your mind with unique abilities to learn and teach. He can bless your hands with the ability to work and create and play. And that's just the first few thoughts on blessing. See, we tend to reduce blessing to how much do I have? Or how much can I get? So that's the first story, Luke chapter 12. The second story is just a few chapters later. Jesus shares this story in Luke chapter 18. And in that story, a young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, Rabbi, what do I have to do to be saved? And he tells the young man, keep the commandments, all of them. And the rich man says back to Jesus, done. In fact, I've been doing that since I'm a little boy. And the thing is, Jesus knows the truth, that that's impossible, even for this man. And he says, you still lack one thing, though. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And what happens to the young man? His head falls because he's very rich. He has a lot of stuff. Jesus looked at him in verse 24 and said this, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Again, the problem is not that he was rich. The problem is that he was unwilling to give up the one thing that was the hardest to give up. You know this and I know this. It's hard to let go of what you love, 
worked hard for. But when it comes to stuff, if we cannot let go of anything, then it becomes our master. So what does it take to become rich toward God? I think there are some mindsets that we can learn to develop that will actually help us greatly. The first one is probably the most important because that gets the ball rolling in your life. And it's this, think like a steward, not like an owner. If you follow God, the reality is that you don't own anything. You might hold the deed or the title temporarily, but you don't own anything. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. See, we live in a mindset, and in our, especially this is hard in our country, all about what is mine. It's one of the first words we learn. What do your babies learn early on? Mine. And what do they start to do? Have you ever tried to take something that your baby grabs? Or your grandchild grabs. You can do it, but it takes some effort, especially you don't realize how strong their hand is. We think, oh, that's so cute. But the reality is that's the word that we have to unlearn. Mine. And instead we need to learn to say his. And we have to learn to freely open our hands. It's one of the hardest things for us to do. If you have something you love, how willing are we to open our hands and give it? It's easy to give the things that you don't love or your leftovers. It's hard to give the things that matter a lot. So the screen that I'll sit on my in my living room and watch this afternoon, it's not mine. If the Lord had need of it, he could say give it. Part of me hopes he doesn't, because I like watching football. The clothes that I put on, the car I drove this morning, it was God who gave me the ability to work in order to provide clothes and transportation. Even my very life is not my own because I belong to God. It affects every decision that I should make. Thinking like a steward is such an important mindset to learn to develop because it has the power to reshape how you see and live life. And it's a difficult mindset to have because much of the time we forget that what we hold in our hands is not actually ours to own forever. It takes repeated practice to move towards being rich towards God. If you want to move in this direction, then where can you start? This is the moment where you might be tempted to close your ears. I encourage you not to. I'm going to tell you how I started to move in the direction of learning to be rich toward God. I started with something called a tithe. Because when you work hard, one of the hardest things to do is to open your hand and release control and give some of it back or away. Just like taking candy from a baby. Once they've had a taste, it's hard to take it or even for them to give it away. 
And at first you, you'll wonder if you've never practiced tithing before, how can I possibly survive? How can I possibly survive here in California? Unless, that was one of the big questions I had when I moved here. And yet if you've never practiced it before, I believe it is one of the most important things you can ever do that can actually change your mind because it has changed mine forever. It changes your heart to become more like the heart of God. Some of you are thinking right now, oh great, he's talking about that. He's giving that message. Yes, I am. Because here's the thing, like the rich young ruler, if our heart and hands are unwilling to open, then we are closed off to growing deeper in faith and going further with God in his mission. If you want to grow deeper in your faith, this might be the stumbling block for you. And it will remain a stumbling block that keeps tripping you up until you learn to trust God in this area of your life. The times when I have not tithed is when I have not trusted God the most. And let me tell you, things go wrong and off the rails real quick. The anxiety goes up. There's something about giving God what is His that actually reduces anxiety and fear. I can't explain why it does. In the Bible, this is God's perspective given through the prophet Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. It was written about 400 years before Jesus' birth. And Malachi 3 says this, Bring, and I'm going to stop there, one word in Bring. It's interesting. The reason I'm stopping with one word is because what it doesn't say. What does it say? Bring. What doesn't it say? It says, it doesn't say give. You want to know why? Because you can't give what, is, was it, what isn't yours in the first place. This is a huge mind shift that I had to learn. That when I'm giving to God, I'm actually not giving anything that's my own. It's I'm giving or returning back to God what is already His in the first place. The Bible actually says in the book of Leviticus that it belongs to the Lord and He actually considers it holy. When we tithe, what we're doing is returning to God what is already His. The verse goes on to say, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And this is why I'm including this verse today, because then God says something that he had never said before and has never said since. He says, test me in this. It's the only time that he asks us to test him. You might be thinking, if you know your Bible or you've read before, doesn't God say, don't put the Lord to the test somewhere? Yeah, he does say that. And in general, we're not supposed to test the Lord, except when it's the Lord saying, test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And you don't need to build a bigger barn, you can just give it all away. Let me tell you this today. Some of you, and this was me at one point, need to test him in this. If you feel anxiety about this this morning, then that's probably God speaking to you. 
I know that was true for me. When we lived and served in Minnesota, I had the pleasure of joining one of the farmers during harvest time. And he took me out to one of his fields, and it was pretty cool. It was, uh, he had planted corn in this particular field, and then he took me to another field where he had planted wheat, because the government required every third year to put wheat there, because the wheat actually helps the soil, and the it was, um, he called it hell land, highly erodible land. And we went out into this field where there was wheat, and what did he do? He pulled his truck up next to his combine, and he filled the truck up. And it was cool, I got to see the whole process. And then what he did was, instead of continuing to do the rest of the field, he stopped. He invited me into his truck, we drove to the grain silo in town, and then he delivered that load. He recorded the number of bushels and the price that they paid him, and then he explained that this was the first tithe from his field. And so he tithed on that first truckload from every field that he had. It was very, and a very interesting process because I had never thought about tithing, but it really pressed that point home about bringing the first fruits of his labors to the Lord. It taught me a lot. When I began to think like a steward, and the fact that I've been given a few resources for a limited amount of time from God to manage on this earth, things began to change for me. And the more I learned to open my hand, the greater I felt that my faith was actually able to grow. The times where I got anxious and fearful and tried to close and hold on, that's when I felt like my faith weakened. Some of you might not even know this, Edgewater, as a church, we tithe. We tithe a full 10%. We didn't when I first came here. We had a lot of financial anxiety. Some of it was justified because of things that had happened before. And so one of my goals when I first got here was to have our church actually model and practice what this looks like. And the cool thing happened as we increased by one percentage point every year until this year we were finally able to do a full tithe. Something strange happened. The financial anxiety seemed to lessen. And when anxiety is lessened, it takes all that space in your brain and suddenly you're able to focus on the things of God even more than you were before. Why does this matter? Because when we bring or return the tithe to God, we say, you are owner and Lord over all, especially over my life. Over all I temporarily possess, you are first. Test me by trusting me and see what I will do. You'll be amazed. I think that's what God would say to us today. So that's the first part. Learn to think like a steward, not like an owner. Number two, invest more than you spend. This doesn't just make good financial sense in our world. It's actually good biblical financial sense. And I'm not talking about stocks or 401ks or Bitcoin or stashing more gold bars under your bed, although that would be kind of weird to do. 
No, we're talking about becoming eternal kingdom investors. So you take what the Lord has blessed you with. How can I invest it for the sake of the kingdom of God? Some of you already do this or you practice this in different ways. Matthew 6 is Jesus' well-known teaching on this, where he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know that currently there are 1.7 billion square feet of storage space in America. 1.7 billion square feet. 50 million square feet were added just last year. And one of the only building projects in Pittsburgh right now is another storage place. I'm not going to say any more than that. I just find it very interesting. See, we can't get rid of our stuff. The more you learn to invest in the things that matter to the heart of God, the more your heart is going to beat for the things that make God's heart beat. Every day we have a choice of what to do with what we have been given. How will I invest my time, my talents, my other resources? I'll just throw out a couple examples real quick. For example, time. What do we say? I never have enough. Well, that's a lie we tell ourselves. We do have enough time. But I can pretty easily binge a whole season of The Mandalorian or the latest cooking show. I can sit for eight hours and do that. You probably could too. It's not a sin. It's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But do you know that nothing changes from the kingdom of God perspective? There will be no eternal change in this world if I spend eight hours watching a full season of the cooking show that I like to watch. If I chose to spend just one less hour and instead invested on my knees to pray for those kids in kids' zone, or for the person that really ticked me off this week, now that is the kind of investment that can yield eternal results, whether you know it or not. A great example in the Bible of this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a growing superstar. He would be a YouTube sensation today. We would call him an influencer, although that's kind of gotten a negative connotation. People came to be baptized by him. He had his own followers and disciples. People were flocking to him. He was gaining a growing influence. But he also learned that God's greater purpose for his life was not about living in the limelight, but to point to the one coming after him who was the light, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. In John 3, he said this, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. He knew all that he had received was already a gift. And so what did he do? He pointed people, not to himself. He didn't say, look how great I am. Look, I'm baptizing all these people in the Jordan River. Aren't I great? No, he said, he must become greater. I must become less. He said that about Jesus. 
How many influencers today may, would make it le about less, less about them? None. And yet that's exactly what he did. We start by thinking like a steward, and then we think about how to invest what God already owns and has placed in our hands to bless the world. And this actually leads us to a third mindset, and it's actually something that when you practice number one and number two, you, you suddenly wake up one day and you discover that you live to give. And it's an amazing, freeing feeling. Living to give is a way of life that has the potential to not only help you find greater purpose in your life, but it can actually cause you to have more joy and happiness and peace. When you know that you're giving what isn't yours in the first place, isn't it easy to spend other people's money? Or I should say, to invest other people's money. If we know that it's already God's, there's something freeing and joyful about using what he has given us to make a difference in the world. I could buy another, sorry, this is a dated reference. I was going to say I could buy another CD. <laughs> Who does that anymore? I can download more, more tracks or stream more tracks. I might feel good for a moment. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not going to make an eternal difference in the world. When we live to give, our heart actually beats for what matters to God. It changes how we see this world and impacts how we live. I could have selected any number of verses. There's hundreds of verses that would make this point. This is just one from Proverbs 22. It says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. See, when we start to live to give, it changes how we see things in our world. What needs do I see that I could meet? Who could I serve? What can I help with? Where can I bless the world around me? Some of you practice this already in, in many different ways. You see, being a good steward is not merely about growing a better balance sheet, making your accountant feel better. Being a good steward is about reimagining and reframing the very purpose of why you're here on earth anyways. Because of what God has done in me, I am now able to live to give. Now I know that each of these mindsets or changes in perspective are hard. But all of them combined, along with different attitudes that God fosters within us, actually helps us to grow in faith, it helps us to develop other gifts we have, gifts of service, gifts of hospitality, gifts of teaching, gifts of shepherding, all of these different gifts that we read about in the Bible. I know we have a growth group right now that's been going, going all through the how do we use our spiritual gifts and combining that with the talents we have and all of those things. How can we make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake? So here's the question we end with. As you listen to the voice of God today, how is the Lord prompting you to respond? What mindsets need to change in you to start to make a difference for the sake of God and His kingdom? And perhaps the hardest one, what are you holding on to 
that has taken control over you. Because it's hard to follow Jesus and to hold on to his hand when you're holding on to something else so tightly that it's actually keeping you stuck. Within the church, one of our great hopes is to become fully devoted followers of Jesus who are able to bless freely the world. But the fully devoted part will never happen until you let go of whatever it is that's holding you back. When you do, this is the good news, something begins to change, I promise you. And when you see real lasting change, just like when you see it in yourself or you see it in the people around you, seeing real lasting change is a joy to behold. It's actually motivating to you and to other people around you. So I say with God's help and leading, you got this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you that you've already mapped out how you want us to live our lives. We thank you that you actually want to bless us so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. Lord, will you help us to be honest with ourselves and with you about what our next steps should be? As we think about everything that you have given us, our time, those gifts, the influence you give us, the financial resources you give us, the people that you give us, the social connections that you foster, Lord, I pray that you will help us start to change, to see that you want us to loosen our grip. How can we use what you've given us to make a difference? Lord, we know that all of this takes a lot of faith. It takes faith to put our belief in those things that we can't tangibly see. Will you help us to do that? May we join you in what you are already doing to change the world. We pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ.